This broadcast is only for adults. The following broadcast is hosted by the most outspoken source on Medjugorje. He is a first-hand witness, the definer of Medjugorje, who has written more on the Medjugorje phenomenon than anyone in the world. What you are about to listen to are insights you will not hear anywhere else. This is a Medjinomic special report with a friend of Medjugorje. So much to consume. So many things happening. We can't even keep up with what's going on with the scandals. And it gets bigger. It started off saying there's a bomb dropped on the Vatican. Now some people in the Vatican say an atomic bomb has been dropped on it. What should we make of this? How in light of Our Lady's messages do we interpret this? What is your part? What is my part? What are we supposed to be doing? We're past the point of praying, fasting, and let God act. We stayed in that mode for 33 years of the apparitions. I think I said that first message in 1984. But then she comes all those years later and says, pray and act. We're not to be sitting in the pews, bench warmers. We're not pew sitters. Our Lady expects us to get up and do something. We have been, for a long time, peasants in the pew. That's what I feel like sometimes when I go to Mass. For a long time, following the messages, there's been a great need of addressing things in the Church with our priests and our bishops. But we don't get the form for that. We're minus out of that. It's the United States Bishops' Conference, and they make the decision and now, in trouble, they're saying, well, we've got to have the laity involved. We need them to hold us accountable. We've been trying to do that for years. i got a big confession to make. Sometimes, no, let me retract that word. That's not accurate. Many times, I'm sitting in the pew, in mass, trying to keep my peace. Why? Because I'm not getting fed from the pulpit. And I've been hearing things so contrary to what is the messages of Our Lady and what the Church teaches. And it's not always what's said and what not is said. It's the silence on the subjects and the things we want to hear about. They want to address. And if they address it, they apologize it. Or they walk gingerly in fear or offending somebody that is in sin without worrying about the offenses to our kids to us, and calling sin out. We just heard a priest say, what if a baby is born in a bonnable? Now, I'm not going to say the word they use, that three-letter word. It's a bad word. G starts with the word. That is a bad word. That's their word. They want you to say that. They use it. The priests say it. The bishops say it. Why? Why are you on their territory using the name that they came up for themselves to make like they're happy people? They are the most degraded people the most oppressed people, most societal people, the most vicious people, the domestic calls come more for them than anybody else per ratio of the numbers. And we're going to be on their territory, calling them the name they want? No, it's abominable. Say what you need to say. So what is my confession? I'm sick of not hearing what needs to be said. And people now, with this last scandal, are giving up. They're giving up on the priest. They're giving up on the bishops. 
and they've given up on the Cardinals, and many now are even calling to give up on Francis. Why is that? Because they haven't spoken out. We're asking you, say something to us. Speak to us. Give us what we know is truth, because you're not doing it. And now, the biggest thing, they give up on themselves. Carnal Royal says, we're going to bring in the laity. Well, Carnal Royal's part of it. He's part of the cover-up. So us peasants in the pew are getting disillusioned. No, no, that's not right. I've been disillusioned. I haven't been silent. The silence that comes from the puppet is more than nauseating. It's devastating. And the charges that's coming out is silence. The great sin of silence. We're already convicted. We know what needs to be done. We need to hear you say something. And that's why everybody's giving up on you. Say something, I'm giving up on you. Say something, I'm giving up on you. Catholics would. They'd follow our bishops anywhere, our priests anywhere. So what is the question we need to ask? We need to ask what Pope Francis, when he was on his airplane being interviewed by a reporter about Carlo Vergano's letter, calling for his resignation. What did he say? Nothing, really. Silence. Listen to it. Here's the Pope reacting to the news on a plane returning from that family conference in Ireland. I read it, and I will say sincerely that I must say this to you and all of you who are interested. Read the document carefully and judge it for yourselves. I will not say one word on this. I think the statement speaks for itself. Well, many yeah. Catholics are saying it speaks for itself, and they feel the Pope should have done some disclaimer, said something. It looks like an evasive answer and makes the Pope look bad. In the meantime, bishops around the United States and the world, Tyler, Texas, Arizona, and the entire conference of Catholic bishops say these are credible charges that need full investigation. They're demanding that from Pope Francis. We're sitting in the pews demanding the same thing from the bishops, and they're going to go to another conference. They just pass the ball up. So the question arises, maybe in the hearts, listen to what I'm saying. Am I calling for Pope Francis to resign? No way. He's the Pope. He's my Pope. I accept that. I respect that. So I don't want that. What I do want is for him to stand in his puppet to the world and say what I'm saying. 
In other words, love the sinner, hate the sin, means condemn the sin and save the sinner. That's so easy to say. It's so logical. Pope Francis in his puppet must be ruthless. It's the clerics of the church who has propagated this sin. And it prevails across the world in all societies. We have to call, the bishops have to call, the Pope has to call to purge this out of the universal church. And by doing so, we will purge it out out of all institutions in society. We put it there, we allowed it, and the church must be the one that drives it out. And I'd like to add to that. The first two bishops that spoke out very strong against this was in Madison, Wisconsin, and our bishop here in this diocese. We're very blessed with him. And if all the bishops would do what these two did, everything would change. I know others now are adding the voice to it. They'll be the first to do it. They just pass the ball up. How come we're not getting fed the truth? You say, well, I'm a bishop, I'm giving truth, I'm a priest. No, we're not getting it. There is a huge amount of frustration in the pew. So the Pope didn't say anything. He bypasses it. And we're going to get another conference. And we're going to go up in a defensive mode and say, okay, let's get more accountability to the laity. Another committee, another committee. No, we want you bishops to get in the pulpit and say it abominables, not the G word, not G-A-Y. That's garbage. Say abominables. That's what it is. That's who it is. As I told you just a few minutes ago about the priest who said on the altar, if a baby's born an abominable, are you going to love that baby? Where does this garbage come from? They're not born that way. They're made that way through a lot of different circumstances. And partly because the bishops sit there and try to be respect so much of the person. We love the person that you let the sin escape by saying nothing. Because we don't want to offend them. We don't want to drive them out of the church. Drive these people out of the church. Do you realize all these priests and the communists, what they brought in with this, where it goes to? Youth who are mostly around 16 and 17 years of age really are just coming out of childhood. They're impressionable. They're innocent in many ways. This is the age that they went after them. We just heard about an 80-year-old actor who has what they term as five baby wives through the years. In other words, he's marrying a 23-year-old, next time a 26-year-old. 80 years old, he fathers a child. What does that say to you about the abominables? I'll interpret for you. Because you say, oh, well, they can be abominables and two men can marry each other, and that's okay. They won't molest. They will molest. No, not all of them, but the sin of molestation comes from this lifestyle. If an old man... We'd rather have a 23-year-old woman. What's an older abominable going to do except want a young boy? Pedophilia comes from these people. Do you understand that? If they'll do something so perverted with another man their age, then they'll be the next time when he's 40, he's going to do it at 30, and then, then 20, and then 14, and then 7 years old. These people don't jump from molestation of youth. It comes from abominable living. And you bishops are not stopping it at that point. That's why at Sodom, they had everybody they wanted to, and they go to Lot's house to get the two visitors. This comes from this lifestyle. And they're not going to stop at the adult level. They're going to gravitate toward the youth. You won't know it's not pedophilia. No, you help breed it through your silence. I want to expand the definition of pedophilia. It's really an attraction toward youth. The primary age that these priests and these bishops and cardinals go after were 16 to 17 years old. So why can't we expand the definition to encompass then? Because that's really what it is. It's not just going after babies. 
And there is anger. And several bishops have said we understand anger. I'm angry about it. Everybody should be angry. The thing is, is you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing because you're not saying anything and you're silenced. You're into everything in the wrong way. And you're meeting because you don't have the answers. We have the answer. Talk to us in the pew. We will tell you. First, you change verbiage. That's the first shot that you fire. Call them abominables. Oh, we can't do that. You bishops who are holding up now, Carla Maria as a hero, let's see what he says in his letter. He wrote an 11-page letter exposing this. Almost from the beginning, he says this, To restore the beauty of holiness to the face of the bride of Christ, which is terribly disfigured by so many abominable crimes. Wow. He's not afraid to say abominable. You say, well, he's calling it abominable crimes. Okay, let's go to the next point. So it's a crime. Who's making the crime? Who's permitting the crime? Who's doing the crime? Who propagates the crime? And an abominable. Why would you not say he's an abominable? If it's an abominable crime, you're going to use a three-letter word and make it nicer when you refer him to him directly. Refer to these people what they are. They are abominables. I never use the G word. For 10, 15 years, you hear it on these broadcasts, abominables. And I caught flight from that. But I'm accurate what I say. And you need to be accurate. And this is where you start. Not by committees. You start standing in the pulpits and saying these things. These people are abominables. They do abominable acts. We will not stand for it. We're not going to tolerate it. We don't recommend this church. You walk in repentant, you're welcome. So I will address another point, and I want to be real clear that this has to change in the church. A teaching is put forth through the seminaries and for a couple of decades that the teachings of the church recognize if you have an orientation toward that, speaking of this model lifestyle, but you don't act on it, you're not in sin. Think about the logic of that. So you're saying, and we teach in the church, that the orientation itself is not a sin. Okay, let's go to a pyromaniac, somebody who likes to light fires, because they like that. They lead to that. They can't help themselves. That's why they call them pyromaniacs. So were they born that way? How did they get that way? What's their orientation? To set fires. Well, let's go to a kleptomaniac. What is a kleptomaniac? They like to steal. You say, well, they may not like it. They're inclined to that. That's their orientation. Kleptomaniac is somebody who has this embedded in them. And you're going to live with that? That it's okay? What if you're born an adulteress? And you can't help it. You say, oh, I was born that way. That's the orientation. You want to accept that? It's more acceptable for all three of those categories and other categories than it is to say that an abominable's orientation is okay to have the orientation. That's stupid. You're completely ignorant. This is a bad teaching that's embedded in the church that has to go away. You don't accept orientations. Why? Because this lifestyle is a suggestion from Satan. It's not an orientation, a suggestion of temptation to go that way to be attracted to the same gender. So you're great as F in your wisdom, calling this orientation. You know who called it something else? Sister Lucy, Lucy of Fatima. And she'll be a saint one day. We should pay attention to what she says. Because we can thank Sister Lucy of Fatima for coining the term. What's the term? The term you need to be using 
correctly. She did this in 1969 through 1971 through her writings. And what did she say? She came up with the phrase diabolical disorientation. She originated that. Why? Because she was seeing the Virgin Mary. Sister Lucy said, quote, This is a diabolical disorientation invading the world and misleading souls. It is necessary to stand up to it. And for this purpose, you can use what I tell you here. This is what she said. This is a quote. And she says to stand up. And you can stamp this with a rubber stamp that says, Fatima is approved. Why are you saying orientation when she's saying disorientation? Because the same reasoning, you use G to be nice. You don't want to hurt somebody's feeling by saying disorientation. It was a devil who got his century, who immediately started on this to fill the seminaries with the bottomless, because that's the quickest gain, the most vile gain he can make against God's people and God himself. So this is very profound. What are you doing? Are you teaching this? Or do you have the courage where she says, it is necessary to stand up to it. In other words, you need to be standing in your pulpit, not saying orientation, not teaching in seminary schools. You need to stand in your pulpit and say, this is a diabolical disorientation. I challenge you to say that. And if you don't take this challenge, I question how serious you really are about standing up like Carlo Maria Bagano, a hero to many people right now. Change your verbiage. Don't call what they want because the minute you say orientation, they've won. That's what they want to hear. This is not of God. You're not born that way. Your environmental circumstances may have led that way. But the orientation is the same thing as an adulteress who Jesus said, if you entertain it in your heart, you commit the sin. You're saying to these people, you can have an orientation, when in reality, you'll be saying the same thing to adulteress. You can have these temptations, or the kleptomaniac, you can be planning to steal, but they don't act on it. Do you get the point? We've got a very, very bad teaching in the seminaries that, okay, we can accept and you can accept that that's what you are, but don't act on it because that's your orientation. Well, then you change the teachings if you're going to keep that teaching to an adulteress who entertains it in the heart because that's their orientation, but they don't act on it. You can't have an orientation toward that lifestyle without entertaining it from time to time. That's a sin. So that invalidates this teaching out of the seminaries and what you hear all over the place in the church from priests and bishops, well, the orientation itself is not a sin. It is a sin, just like it is a sin to entertain adultery in the heart, entertain setting a fire and doing harm, entertaining stealing something in the heart that you desire. You put these people on this path to be what they are, like they cannot help it by your teachings. Change it, and I want to go on record, it's a bad teaching coming out of the church. It's time to correct this. And if you don't correct this thing about the orientation, you don't stop it. And you give way to these people who live a miserable life and putting them onto a road of perdition if they don't change. 
all this can't be because the Bible says so. Genesis 1 Verse 27, God created man in the image of his divine image. He created him, male and female. He created them. Three times he talks about he created the male and the female. One time is enough. Two times is more important. A third time God's saying something, you can't change this. This is what I mean. God created man in his image. In the divine image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Don't you get it from your own scriptures that you can't excuse this behavior? Oh, you got that orientation? You don't have it. Genesis also says he made the woman for the man and the man actually for the woman. That's how it works. No other way. No room for anything. No compromise. Case closed. Preach it from the pulpit. This is what will make this go away. Where were they 200 years ago? They suppressed these feelings if they ever had it for whatever reasons because they knew it was wrong. How come it's so populated now except the church accepted it? I've heard also you got to go to the public schools because they're doing it too. No, it's the church. This is a good thing. We have to get rid of it. And then all the public schools and all the institutions that have these problems, it'll go away through us, through you standing in the pulpit, denouncing it no more, no even thinking you this way. So what are you propagating you're propagating division bishops and priests and cardinals and pope francis in his silence has caused much confusion by not being clear and speaking right and not go by their verbiage but go by the verbiage of what it is in romans 16 it says i urge you my brothers watch out for those who cause divisions and upset people's faith and go against the teachings which you have received Keep away from them. Don't be around abominables. We don't want to be around you. Yes, we're sinners. We're not being self-righteous. But the difference between us and you is you say you're not in sin and you want to normalize it. We're in sin and repentant. We strike our chest for our hearts. For those who do such things are not serving Christ our Lord, but their own appetites, perverted, degraded appetites, unnatural sin. It continues, by their fine words and flattering speech, they deceive innocent people. That's what we just heard. And mass, you are going to love baby if they're born abominable? How flattering, how deflating. So when does this turn into slander? When does this turn into scandal making? When does this affect us in the wrong way and we're unbiblical? Tony Evans is a black pastor, very direct, very biblical very clear to understand. And we got a clip that he'll cover this ground that we have to be lifted up by being lowered down to nothing. If you're low and you want to be exalted, you want to be in power, you want to be a priest, you want to be a bishop, you want to be somebody as a laity to have power, you got to go down to the lowest floor. You got to be on the bottom. Only then can God use you. But we have everybody exalted. They're all at the top. And now they're crumbling down. And it's not pretty. It's a very ugly thing and a very bad thing. But that's why he's here, because it's going to become a good thing. You cannot draw near without dealing seriously with sin. It is sin that keeps us at a distance. There's a third thing you must do. Humble yourself before God. Verse 10. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Here's another great promise. 
If you submit, you'll be able to resist. If you draw near, he'll draw near to you. If you humble yourself under him, which brings back the concept of submission, guess what? He will lift you up. You see, some of our problem is we've been too busy lifting ourselves up. And if you're going to lift yourself up, why must God do any lifting? You're good enough to take care of you. What does it mean to humble yourself? It means to remove all fragments of pride. It is to remove all fragments of pride. In the Bible, the great men of God who were taken up were always taken down first. Joseph was taken down to Egypt, put in jail, and then he became king of Egypt. Moses was put out in the wilderness, and then he became leader of Israel. On and on and on and on and on. David had to hang out with the sheep before he could be king. They had to have experience down before God could trust them to lift them up. The greatest Bible teacher in the Bible, Paul the Apostle, had to spend three years in the desert, humbled before God before God would lift him up. If you want God to raise you up in usefulness, raise you up in power, raise you up in victory, raise you up in strength, you have to go low. Why? Because there's not room for two gods in this universe. That's why. See, if you can raise yourself up, then go be God all by yourself. But if you can't raise yourself up and you're in desperate need of God, then what you do is you go low. You go low. See, when you need mercy, you say please. When you need mercy, you say please. You humble yourself. There is no place for arrogance when sinful men approach a holy God and say, come near. We've got literally some letters that have come in, not just alluding to it, they're saying the bishops are arrogant. The bishops haven't been on our side of the laity where we've been for years, calling out, frustrated, not being able to do a thing, you're always moving to the next political correction. You're scared to say just brothers, mankind. You say humankind, then you say brothers, and now you say brothers and sisters. Now you're saying sisters and brothers because you got to put the sister in front of the brother. I'm just sick of this word game. You don't even understand where you start your fight. You have no energy. Everything is mundane. And part of that confession I made earlier is the homilies are horrible. They're dry. They're bland. They say nothing to us. I, I can't tell you when the last time I walked out of a church and convicted, I'm going to change that. I want to be that. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a stronger Catholic. You don't get that. We came out of a cow pasture, a caritas. We've got a lot of equipment. One machine down in our print shop is $2.2 million. We can do 50,000 books a day on that. This came from a cow pasture. How did we get that? Why did we get it? Why have we got a 65,000 square foot facility, four floors, and 14 support buildings for this? Where did the money come from? The people who saw this cow pasture and was fed a good steak that they were willing to pay for. It fed their soul, their spiritual palate. You don't give money to anything that you're not getting something back from. They willingly paid for this. Why? You have to ask why are we flourishing? Why we have so many people coming into the Catholic Church for my mission? Why tens of thousands of divorces have been canceled through this? To one book, How to Change Your Husband, that I took to Cardinal Trulio to put it in the sickly of the family, which would save millions if they just put four or five percent of that book in the sickly. 
is working for us, why would it not work for the church? Because the curtains of powers around the bishops. A lot of bishops have good hearts. They want to do good, but they're relying on that curtain of power that surrounds themselves and they are neutered. Since we're talking about this subject, let's just call it what it is. You are neutered as bishops. Is that vulgar? I didn't make that term. You wear it. We want energy and confection coming from the pulpit. You're not doing it. And this is the form we have. And you have to ask, why has this mission flourished? Would you like to condemn it? Would you like to silence me? Go ahead. Everybody's trying to do it. We had to spend $1.8 million defending ourselves in a lawsuit. Six years. We had to go really low. We had to get beat down. We had to be watching sheep. We had to be in the desert for the 40 years. Half of my day for six years was tied up with attorneys. 15 attorneys on retainer. From California to Florida to Virginia to Carolinas, Alabama, not to take us to court, but to financially break us. I don't give money to organizations to pay for attorneys. I don't want my money to go there. My attorney says, you're never going to raise this money to fight this thing. And we defeated this because he wanted to financially break us. But we fought. What I'm telling you all this about is we had to raise $1.8 million for legal fees and people paid it. And that would even break my principle. I don't want to be paying this organization lawyer fees. But people did it because this organization, Caritas of Birmingham, what's happened here, what we write, what I put out, people are fed. They're not getting fed from your pulpit. You should come here, and we love our bishops. We love who you are. We love the priest. Come here and get some lessons. If you start saying what we say, your church, your diocese, your parishes will explode because we're aligned with heaven that's been coming down for 37 years, the Virgin Mary. And that's where you're failing. And that's why now you're lamenting that you didn't do four years ago what you're trying to do now, or 10 years ago. And Our Lady said that, August 25th, 1997, Our Lady shows to us what you should have done and what you could have done and you didn't do and to avoid this because you do not recognize her. So in this message, August 25th, 97, God gave me this time. This is the lady in Medjugorje. She's spoken of this moment. This is 1997. That's 21 years ago. God gives me this time as a gift to you. Bishops, I want you to pay attention to this. Priests, listen to this. So that I may instruct and lead you on the path of salvation. If you're on the path to 97 on salvation, why is she saying it back then? We certainly are not now. She adds this very important words. Dear children, now, that's 1997, you do not comprehend this grace, but soon, here we are 21 years later, in heaven's time, that's soon, but soon a time will come when you will lament for these messages. If you had embraced Our Lady of Medjugorje, if you had been following her, this would have been fleshed out. But we had to wait 100 years from Fatima, 1917 to 2017, for the last year of the reign of Satan and the first year, 2018, of Our Lady's century. She's going to give us peace. She's flushing it out. The first year given to her. How do I know that? Because she said December 25th, 1999, 
a new possibility opens up to you for this next century. We thought it'd be 2000 or 2001. No, we realize now it was 2017 was the last year of the reign of Satan. And now she has done all this in 2018. You think it's a coincidence? You think it's by chance all this is flushing out right now? You're not even part of it. You could be. You're trying to. You want to go meet in November of the U.S. Bishops Conferences? They're meeting in other countries. They're scrambling. You're scrambling toward the wrong direction. You still are off the wrong trail. What you're sniffing is just human ways, not God's ways. we got the Virgin Mary scientifically proven. It's 22 scientists from 1984 to 2005, they completed the scientific test, and they ruled absent of deceit. You want to do what you did to Galileo? You want to throw out the scientists? We don't need scientific tests, but maybe you do, to look into that I'm denying something that 22 scientists said is supernatural, and you're sitting on this. You're going to lament, because the trial you're going through now is nothing when you realize, oh, mother, I realize you've been appearing. And the 37 years, I didn't even look into it, or I was cautious. Got to be careful. That's what they did, the king of France. Got to be careful. People may not like it, because the king was told, St. Margaret Mary, that Jesus told her to tell the king to consecrate France to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Year one passed, 10 years passed, 20 years passed, the next king didn't do it. 100 years later, to the day of that apparition of Jesus to St. Margaret Mary, the French Revolution broke out. Does that say something to you? That the bishops were told to consecrate Russia to Our Lady, and they didn't do it, and they tried and tried and tried. And we know for 70 years, the communists have been packing in these abominables in the seminaries. And it didn't happen. And now look where we are. Just think about that. Going back to the French Revolution. It changed the world. And a hundred years before, to the day, Jesus gave the remedy for the king to consecrate France to his sacred heart. The world would be different and completely radically changed if that happened. These consecrations are very profound, very powerful in changing things if they're enacted, but not acted on. We also see they're very powerful in the vacuum that is left. So that consecration didn't happen. The next consecration didn't happen. And now we've got the mother of God here. We've got the answers, and you're not even looking into it. Because as a body of people, I may be looked down on by the other bishops. Stand up by yourself. And say, I will endorse Our Lady of Medjugorje. I want it in every parish. I want it in all my people. I want her messages there, and I free them up. We can't even give in anywhere, any diocese, any Medjugorje material. We've had people tell us all across the country, well, our priests don't want it. A bishop stops it. It's private revelations. Nobody can stop it. But you're stopping it at the expense and cost of your reputation and your esteem and who you're supposed to be. We've talked about for a long time a separation that the separation is from Our Lady. And we see liberal bishops and conservative bishops separating. Many people are already saying this may be a schism. And it may be. And it may be necessary for that to happen. People say, we've got to hold it together. We've got to hold it together. No, Our Lady's here to separate us 
which I read in Romans earlier, saying, I urge you, my brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions. The scriptures doesn't say, let's try to stay united. It says, cause divisions and upset people's faith and go against the teachings which you have received. Quote, it continues, keep away from them. And that's what's happening. At the beginning of every school year, I'm asked to write a writing. There's a few bullet points I'm given, and then I just build from there from the Holy Spirit. I've not heard anybody really explain the division the world is experiencing right now, the polarization, the separation, the reason for and why. As a result, I began to write what you're about to hear that explains what happens with division and separation and results and its purpose. The first step seeds division, a breaking apart of many fractions and ways. Farther and farther they grow from each other. The great separation begins to build alliances with other fractions. Slowly, the great separation begins to unite multiple groups to outpower other groups. The group fractions unite under the principle they must gravitate toward, involuntarily joining together to become more powerful. They become more one in propagating what they represent. From hundreds of different group fractions, separation begins to diminish their numbers. Unity of purpose begins to form these many bodies into lesser and lesser group fractions. The inescapable principle unwritten, always active, moves everything towards a destination they know not. Yet they know and feel its time begins to arrive. The moment comes out of hundreds when the great division whittles down to only two groups. Two fractions of which the inescapable principle delivers them to. Welcomed or unwelcomed, it arrives. The side of light, the side of darkness, love versus hate. This principle throughout history, time and again, goes around and comes around to divide and unite men. Never in history are there so many numbers of people who will be crushed, pushed, forced into two opposing groups. A time of the witnessing of both groups whose stars will show their light or darkness to attract and complete the separation for unity. One will lose, one will prevail. The one who appears to be the weakest will grow to be the strongest and will win. There will arise a new people, a new world, a new kingdom, confounding all those in the dark, because darkness had the power to bring them before the assembly and have them martyred, both in life and by death. Yet they will grow into a kingdom, not out of armies and boundaries of land, a passing into the courts of the kingdom of the earth, unencumbered. Their belief will spread like air everywhere, 
unstoppable. These people will be in every breath one takes and consume the whole world. Our Lady's plans develop not by blueprints, rather by boots on the ground. Cognition of real-life experiences will bring about a time, a time of Mary, transitioning at this moment to a time of choice, a time of election, a time of selection. Choice. Election. Selection. These three elements that bring about the unity are brought down to two groups, both sides knowing who will win this battle. The nation of the boot, who arose and was empowered, who was the greatest in the world, fell not by the sword, but by the heart. The seeds of division, brought to Rome by only a few, began the separation. The Roman Empire, by the middle of the first century, consists of 1,000 Christians. The Roman Empire around 100 AD consisted of 7,500 Christians. By 300 AD, there were 6 million Christians. By 350 AD, the Roman Empire of 60 million consisted of 33 million Christians. The blood of the people of the cross of the country of the boot. Its Gentiles became with all its growing branches across the world, united to the vine, gave life, and dominated and conquered the Roman Empire. Its tree produced a fruit of division that united the world before and will now again in this time achieve the same. What is martyrdom? It is defined by witness, answered by the call to separate for unity, following the heritage of the country of the boot, the people of the boot, asked into being by the lady of this time. You are chosen. You are elected. You are selected. To change the whole world. By the call in that faithful month of October. Witness by your life. A friend of Medjugorje, September 28, 2017 AD. This is the closing, the finality, the last stage shall be on in the amphitheater of spiritual history of the apparitions of the Virgin Mary. We are on a stage of the great epic battle, the final battle, through the Virgin Mary and the serpent and the crushing of his head, defined by August 2nd, 1981 that a great struggle is about to unfold between my son and Satan, human souls are at stake. 
and we're at the pivotal point of the baton being passed of destinies from Satan to the time of the century of the Virgin Mary. bishops and our priests, there is a division taking place. And that's good, because the one's on one side, one's on the right side. So Carla Maria Magano, how did it come about that he released this letter? He actually went to a journalist privately to meet, because he wasn't going to be silent anymore. He said he couldn't. And so we're going to recap the story of how this came to light, because it's important for you to understand the circumstances, because we're looking at something very profound. This report comes from an article entitled The Amazing Story of How Archbishop Vigano's Report Came to Be. This report was originally published by Italian blogger, journalist, and author Aldo Maria Valli. And it tells the story of how he came in possession of Archbishop Vigano's memoirs and about the cover-up of the clerical abuse in the highest echelon of the church. Bala reports that Vigano has gone into hiding, and others are reporting that he fears for his safety and his life is in danger. Vigano's colleague, Monsignor Luthium, whose job it was to inform Cardinal McCurk of the news that Pope Benedict XVI had levied sanctions against him because of his abuses, said earlier this week, after confirming the veracity of Vigano's report, quote, These may be the last lines I write. If I am found chopped up by a chainsaw and my body sunk in concrete, the police and the hacks will say that we have to consider the hypotheses of suicide, unquote, in which he's expressing a fear that the truth will not go unpunished. I want to interrupt real quick with that because... This tells you the seriousness of what he realized he came, that he's putting his life on the line, and it's true. It's that serious, because you're talking about something huge in the Catholic Universal Church. So the story goes that Archbishop Vagano contacted this Dr. Valli, and he said that he wanted to meet him. Again, this is an Italian blogger, journalist, who has a reputation of confronting the church hierarchy in many of the abuses that are taking place there and has quite a following in the Vatican itself and got the attention of Archbishop Vigano. So when he was seeking for a way to release this story, he went to Dr. Valley. 
And he said to him that he wanted to meet with him, but it had to be far away from the Vatican, not in any kind of public place. So Dr. Volley invited him to come to dinner at his home with his family. And this is actually directly from Dr. Volley's experience. He says during the dinner that, that Arch, the archbishop immediately began to talk, quote, He is worried for the church, afraid that at its highest levels there are persons who do not work to carry the gospel of Jesus to the men and women of our time, but rather intend to create confusion and yield to the logic of the world. Then he begins to talk about his long experience in the Secretariat of State as the head of the Vatican City Governatoriate and as nuncio both in Nigeria and in the United States. He drops many names and speaks of many situations. My impression is that he is a man who is alone and sad because of what he sees happening all around him, but not bitter. In his words, there is never one ugly word directed toward any of the many people he speaks about. The facts speak for themselves. At times he smiles and looks at me as if to say, What should I do? Is there a way out? The Archbishop continued to say that he is 78 years old and at the end of his life. Quote, the judgment of men does not interest me. The one judgment that counts is that of the good God. He will ask me what I have done for the Church of Christ, and I want to be able to respond to him that I defended her and served her even to the end. Thus the evening passed away. The archbishop left me saying that he would contact me. More than a month passes and he calls me again and requests again to get together and I invited him to my house. During the dinner, once again, after the meal blessing, the archbishop is an overflowing river. So many stories, so many situations, so many names. But this time he focuses more on his years in America he speaks of the McCarrick case, the ex-cardinal known to be guilty of the most serious abuses, and he makes it clear that everybody knew in the USA and in the Vatican for a long time, for years, but they covered it up. I asked, truly everybody? And with a nod of the head, the archbishop responds, yes, truly everybody. The heart of the matter is that Pope Francis also knew, according to Vagano, and yet he allowed McCarrick to circulate undisturbed, making a joke of the bans imposed on him by Benedict XVI. Francis knew at least since March 2013 when Vagano himself, responding to a question asked by the Pope during a face-to-face meeting, told him that in the Vatican there is a large dossier on McCarrick and he needs to read it. With respect to our previous encounter, there is the new development of the findings that have emerged from the grand jury investigation in Pennsylvania, and Vilgano confirms that the image created by the findings is correct. The abuses constitute a phenomenon more extensive than anyone could imagine. But the main point is that the web of complicity, silence, cover-up, and reciprocal favors extend so far that there are no words to describe it, and it involves everyone at the highest levels, 
both in America and in Rome. We sit there, once again, stunned. Because of my work, we had a sense that there was some of this. But for Catholics like us, born and raised in the womb of Mother Church, it is truly difficult to swallow such a mouthful. My question is thus the most naive of all. Why? Archbishop Vilgano responds, And what he said freezes my blood. Because the cracks of which Pope Paul VI spoke, from which he said the smoke of Satan would infiltrate the house of God, have become chasms. The devil is working overtime. And to not admit that, or to turn our face away from it, would be the greatest sin. The world of which the Archbishop is speaking is our world. He speaks of our church. He speaks of our supreme pastors. There remains basically only one question. Why is the Archbishop telling me all this? What does he want from me? And of course, he learns, Dr. Valley, that the Archbishop has come to him to release his story. Dr. Valley responds by saying, Monsignor, do you realize this is a bomb? Do you realize what they will say? That you want revenge? That you are full of resentment for having been dismissed from the governoriate and other things? That you are the crow who leaked the Vatty Leaks papers? They will say that you are unstable as well as a conservative of the worst kind. And he said... I know, I know, but that doesn't matter to me. The one thing that matters to me is to bring the truth to the surface so that a purification can begin. At the point that we have reached, there is no other way, and I entrust it to you. You think about it. So after some time of prayer, Dr. Valley called the Archbishop on the phone to tell him his decision. And that he agreed to do it. They agreed on the day and the hour of the publication. At that point, the Archbishop said to Dr. Valley that he had already purchased an airplane ticket. He will leave the country. He cannot tell me where he is going. I am not to look for him. His old cell phone number will no longer work. And we say goodbye for the last time. Ogano wrote at the conclusion of his memoir, Let's all pray for the church and for the Pope, remembering how many times he has asked us to pray for him. Let's all renew our faith in the church, our mother. I believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Christ will never abandon his church. He has generated her in his blood and he continuously reanimates her with his spirit. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. Mary, Virgin Queen, Mother of the King of Glory, pray for us. Archbishop Carla Maria Vigano's testimony can be looked up. I recommend you read it. I'll cover just a very short piece of it to confirm why I confessed what I did in the beginning by sitting in the pew of the puppets being silent. He says, almost from the beginning of his testimony, when he exposes all these things, 
Bishops and priests abusing their authority have committed horrendous crimes to the detriment of the faithful by their silence. That's the real crime here. The silence that goes throughout the whole church, not just in regards to the scandal, but the scandal on top of the scandal that they won't expose sin. Even those who were not this way are soft on it. By their silence have not prevented that such crimes continue to be perpetrated. And of course, I already said about the bottom crimes he already refers to. Washington, which is where he was a pronuncio, Carla Maria was, knew about Washington. President Trump has says he's going there to drain the swamp. Why? Because Washington was built on a swamp. They had to drain it to build it. And now it's filled with filth. So Vagana is cleaning up the bad aspects of the swamp of the church in the Vatican, he says, which is terribly disfigured by so many abominable crimes. And if we truly want to free the church from the fetid swamp into which she has fallen. So Washington, D.C. is a swamp that Trump's going to drain. Vagano refers to this swamp that the church has fallen into. We got to drain the swamp. An amazing statement. Now, he knows a lot of people in Washington. You think he put that there by accident? No, he knows what Trump is doing. And so this is what our lady is showing, that she's here all over the place. She's over there with Trump draining the swamp. She's here with Vagano draining the swamp. He goes on and says, we must tear down the conspiracy of silence. See how big a sin this is? From the pulpits and the silence and not saying what they need to say. We must tear down the conspiracy of silence with which bishops and priests have protected themselves at the expense of the faithful. And that's not related just to this scandal. He says again, a conspiracy of silence not so dissimilar from the one that prevails in the mafia. That's pretty strong stuff. He's talking about how the sin is. And he says, now that the corruption has reached the very top of the church hierarchy, my conscience dictates that I reveal those truths. Our Lady gave a message. May 2nd, 2017. This is a fresh message. It's recent. Obviously what she's saying. She says, I'm calling you to pray, not to ask for, but to offer sacrifice, sacrificing yourselves, children. That's what we're asked to do, because that's how big this is. She's flushing it out. She's draining the swamp. And she continues saying, I am calling you to reveal the truth with mercy for love. I'm saying this with mercy for love. The bishops, you can regain your position and your stance. If you quit using their verbiage, don't be using the G word ever again. Call it down for what it is. Why are you so scared to say that? You think you offend? That's what you're supposed to do. You need to offend. You're not offending when you say the G word. The purpose, think about that. Let's dissect this. That G-A-Y word is the purpose that they present to us and that you cross over their bridge on their side of the river so you sin and call them in a nice name. It is not a nice action what they are. It's not a nice action what they become. And you see the fruit of it. Every time you say that word, you are participating and supporting them. Call it what it is, a bondable or a bondable lifestyle. You might say, okay, I'll quit saying the G word. I'll just compromise and I'll say homosexual. That's not what the Bible calls it. Call it what it calls it. It calls it abomination. Romans 1, 18 describes the scandal in the church. While we have not had the truth revealed. 
Verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the irreligious and perverse spirits of men who in this perversity of theirs hinder the truth. See, all you have to do is stand on the pulpit and read the scriptures. What does your Bible say? Verse 1 says, They did not glorify him as God or give him thanks. They sullified themselves through speculating to no purpose, and their senseless hearts were darkened. This sin, God abandons and gives you over to yourself. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that. Verse 22 says, They claimed to be wise, but turned into fools instead. And we hear worldwide the seminaries are filled with this stuff. And in verse 24, it says, In consequence, God delivered them up to their lust, to unclean practices. They engaged in the mutual degradation of their bodies. Read this from the pulpit to talk about the sin. Verse 25 continues, These men who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Verse 26 says, God therefore delivered them up to disgraceful passions. Did you hear that? God gave them up that because they wanted these things. Verse 26 continues, The women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural. Did you hear that? It's in your Bible. Will you read that? Will you tell the people in the congregation that? Verse 27 and the men gave up natural intercourse with women and burned with lust for one another. Men did shameful things with men and thus received in their own person the penalty of their perversity. Wow, I think that could be called AIDS. I've always seen it from high school. This was AIDS because it came from the sin. Will you say that from the pulpit? No. Nobody's telling them you get the penalty of your sin in your own body. So you're looking for ways not to offend. The Bible doesn't do that. But now they're changing the Bible. You won't hear what I'm reading because they want to accommodate the sin. How? Changing the verbiage. It's the verbiage game again. It's the verbiage war. Say what the Bibles have traditionally said for the last couple thousand years. Don't go to the new versions that neuter the power of the words. In Genesis 18, it talks about this sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is a sin that is very grave. That's what the Bible calls it. In 2 Peter, it refers to this sin as filthy conduct of the wicked. That's New Testament. And then it goes on and says lawless deeds. In Leviticus, it says you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you don't want to call it that? You want to be nice? Leviticus says, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. You might say that's uncharitable. You shouldn't be saying that. After all, lady said, speak less. It is charity to point out these things I'm talking about. Because it's the only way to convict these people, to change them, to understand what they're doing and who they are. It's uncharitable not to say these things. Alay said, I'm calling on you to reveal the truth and merciful love. That's charity. And that's what Vergano says in his letter, to reveal the truth. Cardinal Sedona is one of those who were mentioned in his letter, and he was part of the cover-up. This is so intertwined through the years. Cardinal Angelo Sedona was Secretary of State in the Vatican. It's a country. He's like the president. 
my wife and I met him with my family. We were so connected with different people there. I'm just saying this to show I understand things behind the scenes. I'm not just sitting in a pew. I've been there. I've watched what's happened through three decades. We had an apartment for three years right next to the Vatican, right by Cardinal Ratzinger's office. You walked in 60 seconds. I passed him in the square. He became Pope Benedict. But Colonel Sedano gave us a pass to our family with no encumbrances by the Swiss Guard or the Secret Service to go anywhere we wanted to go in the Pope's gardens. You can take a tour there, but you're not going to be unescorted. That's the connections we had. So we're aware of these different people. He's part of the cover-up now. As far as Vagana, I spent a week with him in Medjugorje. I'm familiar with him. He knows me. I know him. He's open to Medjugorje. There's things I do know about this situation going on right now that I can't speak of and I won't speak of. Not because of silence, but to protect him. I'm not saying these things in a vacuum. Also, Archbishop Vagana mentioned in his letter about Cardinal Batoni, who also covered these things up and had knowledge of these things. My discernment was not good about Batoni. Why? Because of something he did. What did he do? Let me explain first what happened. Here it is, June 25th, 2000. The Vatican is going to release the third secret of Fatima on the very next day. We waited for this for 40 years. I remember hearing about this in grammar school. We waited for it. We were so excited about it. And here we are about to have it released. So what a lady's going to say the day before should be significance. Our lady appears and she says on the monthly message, the one who prays is not afraid of the future. When I heard that in Medjugorje, I got so excited because we knew this message was about the future. So what was given in Fatima in 1917, Ali releases that message the next day. It's incredible. Two different apparitions. The same mother who gave both of these messages are one day after the other, near a hundred years apart. And I felt strongly she addressed it on that day before when she said again, the one who prays is not afraid of the future. And so the third secret of Fatima was released and it was about violence. It was about being martyred. It referred to a lot of catastrophes even the old world being consumed by fire because it showed fire coming from a sort of an angel down to the earth, which was deflected by the splendor of Our Lady. And so Batoni gives a statement on the third secret of Fatima. And what he does, he relays that most of this has already happened. We had a violent century in the 20th century, in the 1900s all the way through. So really the third secret is really past. It's not as significant for the future. That's when I discounted his statement. How can I believe what he's saying when it's purely opinion? And he puts this out when Our Lady says, the one who prays is not afraid of the future, which means there's something coming in the future after June 25th, 2000, that's in the future that you could be afraid of if you're not praying. And Bertone wipes it all off. He deflated this message. We were disappointed because the power of the third secret of Fatima was deflated by what he said. And everybody passed it off, and it's no big deal. And we know now what's happened from 2000 to 2018 has been a lot of violence, a lot of difficulties, and more still coming our way. After seeing and reading his statement, knocking the wind and the power of the third secret and its impact for people to act and pray more, it didn't surprise me when Vagano says Bertoni was participating in some of the cover-up. So my discernment was corrected by him. How do we get to this point in the church where these high-level cardinals are promoting and endorsing 
abomination. Contemplate all this. We had all this starting in the seminaries in the 1920s. What was going on at that time? Stalin ordered the seminaries to be filled with abominables. They're propagating this lifestyle. How was it doing? What was it doing? Working its way through several generations of the priesthood until this present time. And that's going to affect the teachers, the professors, what they learn, how they learn on every subject in the seminary. So why would you think as bishops now that you're not affected by earth philosophies that is tainted by this? It's impossible not to be affected by it. If you're going to swim with the sharks, you'll be eaten by the sharks. You don't think the party line's there? It's proven there's communists in Hollywood in the 1950s. And you know what they said? Just give us 5% of the movie for the party line. That's all they needed. If you go back into history to understand the presence of what we have in the seminaries and how many people are affected by this, if you have an apple in the bottom of a bushel basket, the rotten one at the bottom will affect the next And then the next will affect the next, and the next two, three will affect the next five or six. It will go to the top. We had 70 years of propagating this abomination in the seminaries and accepting it in the seminaries. So were there good bishops and good priests? Yes, I've talked to priests. I talked to a priest once who came here from Boston. He said, I went into the seminary. I couldn't take what they were teaching. I dropped out. A year later, I go back. You know how I made it to the seminaries? I just put on the test what they wanted me to put on the test. This is widespread. And many priests today and bishops probably knew some of these things or heard things or aware of certain things through the seminaries because it has been there for seven decades. So the question I'm rhetorically asking you, how do you have that in there, the sin of Sodom, which God destroyed the whole city because of it, Because it corrupted everything else. It is an impossibility to have a fresh glass of water and drop one drop of arsenic in it without poison in the glass. Think about that. But if you put that in slow motion when that drop of arsenic got in the water, at the bottom of the glass, it's still not infected. But within a few seconds, it is. It's just the nature of infection, the nature of rottenness, You can't change those principles. So the whole glass is poisoned. So how do we go through 70 years of these things happening without everything and every subject and every philosophy, all these things being infected, altered? We know that the communists wanted to push their agenda. I sat outside of Missouri with the communist when it was Yugoslavia. He slammed his fist on the table saying communism will rule the world. This is 1986. And you think if they got the bottomles in the seminaries that they won't infiltrate other subjects? It's naive. Actually, it's not naive. It's stupid to reason out that this degraded sin, such a serious sin, is not going to open the door to other subjects. You need to clean your slate. So many people in Pew have an aversion of the social justice taught in the church because it's influenced by communism and socialism. So there's many teachings, many things you have been taught that you have to change in your mentality. It's not just this abominable stuff. I don't agree with the bishops what they talk about social justice. I don't see where Jesus Christ said... You go tell the government to help the poor. 
The dollar comes out of my pocket to the poor. That's the church's responsibility. That's what we're supposed to be doing. This is what should be taught. Not the government. Before Obamacare, 25% of all health care was provided by Catholic hospitals. We spent over $100 billion a year. The statistics are there. I studied all this when I wrote the book. They fired the first shot in 2012. Can't be disputed. Why did we lose this? Because we lost our vision. We lost our purpose of what we're about, what we're supposed to be doing. What I'm trying to make a point of is nobody has a right to take a dollar out of my pocket by the government to go help the poor. That's my commission. That's my obligation. That's what Jesus taught. But that's not what the bishops endorse. Let's get the government involved. Following this through the years, I watched what happened. You contributed to this. You led us to the chastisement of Obamacare. Because you were wrong about social justice. You know, many see that you're on the wrong side of the track. It's socialism. You're responsible for a lot of the consequences. Now we have this health care thing. We're all paying for abortion in a reverse way because you learned that in the seminaries, which gave you wrong teachings. You don't even realize it. But many do in the pews. That's why ladies here saying, you listen to me. I will educate you. I want to lead you to truth because you don't have the truth. The messages of Medjugorje is you're wiping the slate clean. You need a new mentality. You need to change everything. You need a new perspective. That's why God is sending the Virgin Mary. Because the gates of hell was going to destroy the church had she not come. And it's there. That's how big this is, and that's how big that you're missing the point. You're not going to discover it at the Bishop's Conference. You're going to discover it in Medjugorje, and you're going to discover it in your own parish when you start inviting Medjugorje people in there. Spread the messages. Everybody adopt them. That's your answer, and there's no other one. So basically, bishops, the way you're educated, I'm telling you, you are educated in the wrong way. All you priests are educated the wrong way. You're not connecting with the people, us peasants in the pew, and we're going to be peasants as long as you continue that. And with his arrogance of the theological, I was sick. Even John Paul, who's a John Paul the Great, I've met with him. Even he was influenced about, we need to add, I think it was three years of philosophy, add another fourth year of philosophy. A lady's got in her messages everything you need to know. St. Vianna couldn't pass a test. He had to pass it orally. And look what he did as a priest. That's where you got to go back to. Get rid of intellectualism. Dump it. Purify the seminaries. This has to be tore down. There has to be unmaking. You have to get rid of these things. Dismantle. Destruction. It's not just committees that's going to do it. I'm literally talking about what we've built for decades in error. We have to unmake. This is the time, this is the moment, this is the day. This is demolition day. All the debris and all this dust, what is left of what once was, sorting through what goes and what should stay. Every stone I laid for you, as if you had asked me to. To holy things, empty talk and circling Isn't that what we're supposed to do?
this song speaks of the truth of where we are right now in the church. This is the unmaking, beauty in the breaking. I had to lose myself to find out who you are. Before each beginning, there must be an ending. Sitting in the rubble, I can see the stars. This is the unmaking. Bishops, you have to lose yourself to find yourself. You have to go low to go high. This is where we are. So we are to unmake everything, but we can't do it without our bishops and priests. I lady said that. You're my apostles. It's going to come from us. We give the wisdom. We give the knowledge. We do the re-education of you. You've got to listen to us, but you have the power of the sacraments. You have the power to order. So we have to get the orders to be free to do what we need to do. We know what to do. We don't need to be trained through your boot camp. We don't need to go through your committees. We're ready to act. Our lady said, pray and act. She's released us. You haven't released us. That's the problem. And until you understand that the problem we have is you haven't given us the green light, we're not going to solve anything. You can meet all you want to. We have Our Lady being sent by God that's leaving a fingerprint on everything she does. Benedict tried to change this. And those people surrounding him, the curtain of power wouldn't let him, so he had to resign. He didn't have the strength to fight him. But Benedict, when he was elected was also a big sign. So we see his interest into the church was delayed and delayed and delayed and then more delayed. And when he walked out on the balcony, it's apparition time. I called Medjugorje Visionary Maria immediately afterwards. What do you make of that? She said that meant the church is safe. So underneath his rule it was. And what happened when he resigns just afterwards? Lightning strikes the Vatican at the cross. Oh, as happened chance, Our Lady said, and you know the message, God gives you many signs through nature, through people, and various other ways. This was a sign that the church was being struck. And so he resigns. The lightning bolt hits. And you know what time it was? Just a few minutes after apparition time. God wants you to see what's going on. Our Lady is leaving her fingerprint. God is allowing that, wanting that to be shown. What we do here, Our Lady's fingerprint is all over it. So as you're hearing this, we're in the studio. We're pre-taping this because we got appointments tomorrow, so we do this now. And it's apparition time. So we go to the spiral staircase outside the tabernacle in preparation for Our Lady coming to the earth. We're kneeling out there. A storm hits at the same time. Lightning is hitting and rain is hitting and we go through the apparition time. The thunder and lightning has passed by, and it's just raining. And here we are talking about lightning striking right after Benedict's resignation. We finish our prayers. We come back into the studio. And because we want soundtracks, the rain was nice to hear it. So a recorder was taken out there for 45 seconds. Remember, the front had already passed. It's just raining. And then out of the blue with the tape recorder... A gigantic lightning bolt hits. There was not one after that. It had already dissipated before that. We knew Our Lady put this together. To show you in real time, because we had this recording right after the apparition time, to reinforce what we're talking about, that there was meaning to that lightning strike at the Vatican after apparition time. Our Lady's showing your own track where you are. I'm doing this to encourage you. And through nature, she talks to us, and you're going to hear that now.
So just as this lightning bolt speaks to us, here in the midst of what we're doing, there's things that we can read and see that really have a prophetic nature to it. We have a bishop in the Netherlands who's reminding us that we have something in the catechism that's amazing and it's prophetic and it's explaining what's happening right now. He talks about what's happening in the church of the unveiling of iniquity in the form of religious deception. That's what just happened. And this bishop is saying, are we seeing this now? You decide. Listen to the read right out of the Catholic Catechism. The Church's Ultimate Trial Before Christ's second coming, the Church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-messianism by which man glorifies himself in place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh. People, did you hear that? That's directly out of the book of the Catechism. You know what I said on August 11, 2014? Decide for peace. How are we going to decide for peace? What is she talking about? She'll tell you. She says, decide for peace. Fight against evil and sin. We're in a position to fight. This fight is going to require you to get out of the pew not seek permission from your bishop or priest. We have it by the right of baptism. By the right of baptism, one is commissioned and given the authority to evangelize. The church teaches us. By baptism, they share in the priesthood of Christ in his prophetic and royal mission. So one doesn't need approval to promote or have devotion to private revelations or to spread them. You don't need to submit to what you're not binded to submit to. There's certain jurisdictions you're under, but there's many more avenues that you can act with the messages and not be stopped. Why are we looking to our leadership in the church to see what we need to do? Our lady's here for that. That's why she's coming. That's what she's showing. We have to act. Why is Caritas what it is? How is it what it is? It didn't become the largest Medjugorje center in the world by chance. And it didn't come going asking permission. It did come from being obedient to the church and its jurisdictions where it has jurisdictions. Don't put yourself under the church's jurisdiction when you don't have to. Carla Maria Vagano's letter relays the real crime is the bishop's silence. The bishops are not fighting for us. They're fighting for themselves. Our Lady is fighting for us. January 2nd, 2008, Our Lady says, As a mother fights for her children, I pray for you and I fight for you. We have to adopt the mentality of what Our Lady says in the message, Fight evil and sin. All those things, bishops, you didn't say is in the past. You have to begin. You have to speak. So start saying those things you didn't say before. Start fighting now. And all those things I didn't say were balls inside my brain. I will scream loud tonight. Can you hear? 
Our Lady is turning up her power. Sister Lucy is talking about this new efficacy, this new power, increased from Fatima. And now through Mezhigori, it's been turboed. She has a new presence, a new thing on this earth. She said, May 2nd, 2017, I'm imploring him. She's speaking about her son. I am imploring him to help you with the divine spirit. And then she says this, as I also desire to help you with my motherly spirit. She's showing her spirits here. She's got a new motherly efficacy here that is growing. We see it. We just gave to you the lightning bolt. This happens all the time. We see our fingerprint. If you're not seeing it, it's because you haven't accepted the messages. And the bishop can see it. And the priest can see it. But you can only do if you allow her to turn on the power that she has to walk with you on the earth. Her motherly spirit. She's distinguishing her motherly spirit, not in independence of the divine spirit, but there's another spirit that's working on this earth. So don't let this scandal deflate you. Let it energize you. We've got the power. The power is in our hands. Turn your power up. You do not need permission to spread the messages. They are not condemned. They're private revelations. Everybody has a right to spread them. You need now to use this opportunity with your priests and bishops. You let us go. You quit obstructing Our Lady's plan. It is the only solution that you have because it comes from heaven just for this time that we're living. It is the reason why Our Lady is here. And my final words to you is to the bishops and priests. I've said, and I'm on record for over two decades, that I believe in your power more than you do. You use it in the wrong way. I respect your position. Jesus chose you. You can restore everything. You can be elevated because everything now is brought so low now but only through the path of Our Lady. So all priests, all bishops, I beg you, I plead with you to completely do a, a house cleaning and evaluating your own personal mentalities and your positions that you've held has been filled with too much intellectualism and not enough witnessing. Change to what the people in the pew need and they'll come to you and they'll support you. I first. I pray for you every day. We wish you a lady. We love you. Goodbye. A friend of Medjugorje, the host of this broadcast, is a Catholic in good standing with a very good relationship with the Bishop of the Diocese in Birmingham, Alabama. He is the prominent voice and definer of Medjugorje for more than 30 years. 
influencing tens of thousands across several countries. He has been persecuted greatly for what he writes and says. A friend of Medjugorje conceived and authored the Patriotic Rosary, which is prayed in the Pentagon, military bases across the world, and throughout the United States. He has written more on Medjugorje than anyone else, with several of his books selling more than a million copies. Learn more about a friend of Medjugorje. Go to medj.com, spelled M-E-J dot com, and click on a friend of Medjugorje at the top of the homepage. That's www.medj.com and click on a friend of Medjugorje at the top of the homepage. Listen to more from a friend of Medjugorje live Thursdays at noon and 8 p.m. Central Time on medj.com. Order copies of Radio Wave and Medjinomics broadcasts with a friend of Medjugorje by calling in the U.S. 1-205-672-2000. That's 1-205-672-2000. International calls dial 001-205-672-2000.